0: Good morning. morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 is going to be uh, our text for this morning. Today's text is really interesting because what we find is that Paul tells this ancient story about Abraham. And most especially, um, help if I turn this on, about Abraham and his sons and what we learn in Genesis chapters 16, 17, and 21. Now we already know this amazing faith that Abraham had. We talk about by his trusting faithfulness, he is credited for righteousness. But he and his wife, Sarah, they struggle in their faith. They don't have perfect faith. And so when God comes to them in Genesis chapter 12, as we've seen, and he says, listen, I'm going to make you into a great family, that I'm going to make you into a great nation, and that nation is going to bring a blessing to all the nations of the earth in Genesis chapter 12. We get to Genesis chapter 16, and Sarah still hadn't had a child. She still has not even, is not even pregnant at this particular point. It's been ten years. And so Sarah believes that in order for this to happen, in order for God's promises to come about, that she's going to need to take action. And that's when a Hagar was brought into the picture. Hagar is the Egyptian slave of Sarah. And yes, back then they all looked the same. So this was a common practice in that day and time. And so Sarah gives Hagar to wed Abraham. I know, a little strange. But in that day and time, that was a way of having kind of a surrogate mother of sorts. Or being a surrogate mother. Motherhood was a very big deal back in that day and time. It it had a lot to do with status, which is why this story is also very important. But Hagar, she does get pregnant, and she has a son. Uh, Well, actually, she gets pregnant, and, and Sarah and Hagar are not dealing with each other very well. And the reason is because she now is pregnant. And because of the way that looks, as far as In that status in that day and time. Even though she was her slave. She now no longer is respecting Sarah. This is how strong this motherhood thing was back in the day. And so she goes to Abraham. And she blames Abraham. Now guys, y'all knew this was coming, right? She blames Abraham. Says, you got to do something about this. And he says, listen, do with her what you please. And he starts mistreating her. To a point that finally she goes off the screen. She leaves. An angel of the Lord goes and catches up with Hagar, which may have been Jesus Christ himself. That's a whole other story within itself. And, And she says, listen, go back and be obedient to Sarah. Have this child. And the angel says, you are going to be blessed. And your child is going to be blessed. So she comes back. She does have a child. And this child's name is Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears, which is uh, kind of an interesting take on things. So we get to chapter 17, and and Yahweh appears before Abraham again. And he gives about this, this promise once again. I'm going all crazy on my screen here. Yahweh appears before Abraham again, and he is now 99 years old. His wife is now 90 years old. And he, he reaffirms his promise. I'm going to give you this great family. I'm going to make you into a great family. And he gives them the, the sign of the covenant of this promise, which was circumcision at that particular time. And sure enough, Sarah is able to have a child. Now... Or before she's have a child, Abraham, he's thinking to himself, Well, you know, if only God would accept Ishmael. That's what it says in chapter 17. And God says, I'm not taking him, I'm making this covenant with you and Sarah. And she goes to get pregnant, and she has a child, and his name is Isaac. And his name means he laughs. Now the reason it's called he laughs is because during this whole process, when God comes to them and says, you know, when, when Sarah's 90 years old and Abraham's 99, that she's going to actually bear a child, Abraham laughs about that. Because women don't get pregnant at that age. Sarah also laughs when the angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her the same thing. Because she knows that her womb is dead. But God comes through, doesn't he? And Isaac comes about. So at least everyone's happy now, right? Well, they were for a time. Isaac finally reaches the age of being weaned. I don't know exactly what age that is. It's probably maybe even longer than than we think in our terms today. But it was a big deal. I mean, we don't think about it today. I mean, I'm sure some women are like, I'm finally glad, you know, weaning off this child. But in that day and time, they had a big celebration. It was a big deal. And it was during this celebration that Sarah catches Ishmael mocking Isaac. Ishmael's now thirteen years old. Now here's where understanding words is so important because the word Ishmael, I mean the word mocking means to laugh. What does Isaac mean? He laughs. In other words, Ishmael is Isaacing. He is taking Isaac's place. This was more than just making fun of the kid and sticking its tongue out at him, okay? This was a very big deal. And it's from this that she goes to Abraham, Sarah does, and says, Drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. And this was not easy for Abraham to do. He absolutely loved Ishmael. But he also knew that she was right. And God comes and confirms this as well. And and let me say this, that that God takes care of Hagar. He takes care of Ishmael. And there is a blessing that's brought upon them. But this is a tragic situation. But God had a plan. And this was the plan by which all the nations of the earth were to be blessed. Now we're ready to go to Galatians. Let's go to chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things are illustrations. They are allegories. They are figuratively used for uh, for the women represent the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. And bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman, who does not give birth. Break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the child of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Throw out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Christ has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul uses this Old Testament account to demonstrate the law-free salvation that has been given to the Gentiles. And in class, we really dove deep into some things. And there are some, wow, there's some powerful stuff when you really get into it. But we're going to just look at two things by way of application this morning. And the first thing is this. I'm not under the law. We hear that quite often. And we may think of it ourselves. When we go to verse 21, Paul is addressing those, he says, who want to be under the law. And we said in class it is very important for us to understand what under the law means because people get off the, they, get, they just absolutely get off the rails when they start talking about this thing. And, and um, we often think, well, that's not me. I'm not the person who is under law. I'm not under the Mosaic Law. Unfortunately, many un- just don't even understand what under the law means. At the beginning of the 3rd century A.D., and we're not going to get into all this history, but in the third beginning of the 3rd century A.D., that word law became an ugly word. And all of a sudden, sin became replaced with law. And, and sin was no longer that someone is under sin. Someone was under the Old Testament. They are under the Mosaic law, and that's what it became to be known. The word law itself is a word that actually developed as well and when we use that word law in our day and time and with our definition we think of something as a legal process the word law as it is being used in the Hebrew text and also how the New Testament writers were using it as well it is a word that means instruction It is a word that means teaching so the law when we talk about this teaching and this instruction, it is something that was around long before the Mosaic Law. Well, how long has it been around? How about creation? He's, then God said, let there be light. There's the command. And there was light. And we see all throughout this co- the, the creation these commands and these instructions. He tells man, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. He goes on, he gives a law, and he says, You are free to eat from any of the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And you may be thinking to yourself, What in the world does this have to do with Galatians? Man, we have gone way off the, the course here. No, it has everything to do with Galatians. Because it shows us that when we disobey any instruction, any teaching of God, that we are under law. And, and what it shows is that we have a separation between ourselves as God's creation and with our creator. Listen, Genesis 3 is pivotal. It's absolutely pivotal for us. And Paul, in Romans chapter 5, he tells us, it's not Eve, ladies. Ah, it's Adam. Because of the sinfulness of Adam, that we all have this sin gene, if you will. We fall short, all of us to God's glorification. Because we are generally going to choose evil over good. Even trying our best, eventually we're going to choose that which is not right. And that's depressing, unless you understand Galatians. And that's why it's exciting. Because the Creator, out of His perfect love, He gives instruction. He gives law... In order to bring us back to Him. Well, how does He do it? Not by living perfectly according to His instructions. We can try, but it's, that's not going to do it. It never has been able to do it, even in paradise. So what He does is He gives us grace. In the Garden of Eden, the Creator gave the very first prophecy. That a Savior would come into the world through the seed of woman. This seed will reverse the curse. The promise was put in place with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. And that through his seed, all the nations, all of us in this room can be blessed That seed is exactly what Paul has discussed in chapter 3 and in verse 16. And that seed is Jesus, Messiah. Here's the point. If someone rejects the grace of God, if someone rejects Christ, they are under the law. The law teaches us that we are under sin, that we are guilty. You may be thinking, yeah, but I'm not Jewish, so the law of Moses doesn't apply to me, and that's what we think, and that's what we say. But when Paul speaks of those who are under the law, he is speaking of any legal system of any kind that we follow. And that could be Mosaic, that could be Roman law, that could be natural law. But all of those are under the curse. Even the laws of our land are not kept perfectly. Trying to keep the law, if nothing else, should teach us that we cannot do it of ourselves. It should teach us that it is impossible for us to live this perfect life. Being under the law, folks, is being under the power and the authority of sin. That's what under the law means. Now we're ready to make this personal. Because if you believe that you are saved because you are a good, moral person, you're under the law. And that means that you're relying on your own perfection to goodness and morality. That's what that means. And some people say they may choose. I will be under the law in that situation because I believe I'm a good person. We have to ask ourselves, well, have you ever stolen anything? You go, I've never been. I don't go out into stores and steal things. Well, you know what? It could just be something very small, very simple, something very cheap from where you work. Have you, have you ever gone over the speed limit? I'm not going to make you raise your hands. Because that means I'll have to do it too. As citizens under the law of this city, this county, this state, then I am under the law if I have ever broken that law. Many times we're tempted to make up our own law of what we think counts. Okay, this is what makes me a good person or a bad person. And so we say, okay, uh, on my list, I've got murder. Everybody, yep, all right, we'll put that murder, because we know that's bad. I've never murdered. Or we may may say, okay, we all will agree that someone who uh, sexually assaults another person We say, that is evil, that's wrong. Yes, we've all got that on there. Yes, see, I've never done that before. We can do that with someone who would go out and kidnap a child. When we say, yes, that's bad, but hey, so far, I'm doing great. Now, with the rest of it, what we do is we have our laws of morality that we have an asterisk beside. You know what I mean? Uh, We say things like, you know what, um... Stealing is wrong. Uh, I've never been arrested for stealing, and and I think that would be wrong. Uh, although, if a person's poor, or if a person feels like their boss isn't paying them what they're worth, it's okay to take some stuff. You see our asterisk. We we all would agree that lying is bad. None of us want to be lied to. We 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 just detest lying unless of course it's a little white lie you know Uh, you know I mean if I lie and you know I'm even trying to protect the other person and so we've got our asterisk beside lying and we do our best to downplay sins that we commit because we want to think that we're good we want to think that we are moral And if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, these people of great faith, they also told a little white lie Uh to a king. And you can go back and read it tonight. It's really fascinating. You read the history of Judaism, folks. It was their lack of trusting faithfulness towards God that they began to alter the word that they began to alter the intent of of various instructions. And those rules, those laws, those instructions all of a sudden became a burden rather than a blessing of what it was supposed to be. And can't we do the same? But then we have our own system of checks and balances, right? Right? Okay, okay, you got me that I do some things sometimes, but, you know, I'm still not a murderer. I've never, you know, sexually abused anybody. I'm not a kidnapper and things of that sort. And so, yeah, there are all these things over here, but I believe that I am a good person because I give to charitable organizations, because I, I go out and I feed people who may be sick, or I go and I do something kind to my neighbor. So because I put in these deposits of good, it, it just comes over here and it balances out that goodness. Folks, that's, if that's the way you live, you're living under the law. Reread the story of Abra, Abraham and Sarah. God tells them, you're going to have a child. And you're going to have a child of promise. All they had to do was trust God. And yeah, it looked pretty bleak because they didn't understand how in the world this was going to happen. So they, by their works, decided... They're going to take Hagar and to have a child, and that child will now be a representative of Sarah, and finally we have this promise. And when you read it, we see that God rejects Ishmael, not as a person, but he rejects him as that promised child. Why? Because God rejects their works. There is no amount of works that can justify you. Read Galatians 2 and verse 16. You cannot receive the Spirit of God by following law. Read chapter 3 and verse 2. In fact, let's just look at this idea of the Holy Spirit for a second. Paul says those who are no longer under the law are those who have been given the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 29. And later on, he's going to say, in chapter 5 and verse 18, that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When we are led by the Spirit, God guides us to do what is holy, to do what is righteous. We no longer are serving these works of the flesh that Paul's going to talk about when we get later on into chapter 5. God's law now has been placed in our hearts. Before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God's law is God's word on paper. But when the Spirit of God finally came, then the Spirit immerses these pages and gives life to the individual. Our text speaks of two covenants. The new covenant was one that was promised by Jeremiah. It is the coming and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It did not come to destroy law. It did not come to renounce the old law. But it writes the law on our hearts. And it restores us to a relationship with him because it had been separated by our unfaithfulness. The Sinai Covenant did not have the power to bring life. It had the power to bless if they followed it perfectly. But they didn't. And therefore, it cursed them. It imprisoned them. But it did bear witness to the one who could give life and could give it in abundance. To reject Christ is to be under the law. It is to be cursed. It is to be without the indwelling of the Spirit of God in your life. It is slavery. Folks, your goodness cannot save you. That's the point. But let's notice a second point. Free at last. I love what it says in Galatians 5 and in verse 1. It says that we are free in Christ. Now, we don't need to think of this freedom like we do, um, say, the 4th of July. Okay? Um, And we know that this freedom does free our conscience, but it's, it's really not what he's talking about here in the text, that you're now conscious free of any sin in your life. Our freedom, though, is something that is to manifest itself. You follow Galatians, it manifests itself in the community. Old barriers, those old barriers of nation and races and gender and status All of those things are broken down as the community comes and they gather together at one table. This freedom is exemplified in the communal life that we share together as a people of God. Being free isn't about going and doing your own thing. Folks, how did we get in sin? By doing our own things, by doing the things of the flesh. It now frees us Because the Spirit has come in our lives, it frees us to come and say, as Paul did, it is no longer I anymore, but Christ who lives in me, from chapter 2 and verse 20. Freedom of mutual service to each other. A freedom of mutual love to one another. And Paul says, you stand firm in that freedom. You resist the pressure from anyone who would dare take away the freedom that you have in Christ and to say that you are not in fellowship, that you are not united, that you are not a part of us, that you are someone who is separated from us because you don't think like I think, because you're not doing all the things that I believe ought to be done. And it is liberating. It is liberating when you come to that point in your life. And Paul talked about that back in chapter 1 and in verse 18. For years I was afraid. I was afraid to have any thoughts that were different than, than, than thoughts that, that things that I had been taught my whole life. It wasn't that I wanted to go rogue. It wasn't that I wanted to be different. In fact, right, the opposite because I did not know that if I show some things that I studied, when I see things in their context and I see that these things are different from things that we have been taught in our movement for 200 years, I was afraid of what people would say, what people would do. But here, I come to a conclusion, and I say, it is not other people who determine my freedom. It is Jesus Christ. And it's only in Him that I please. You look again to the Scripture that Paul quoted in Genesis chapter 21, and in verse 10, which is verse 30 of Galatians chapter 4. This is the climax that that Paul is dealing with as he's talking about Sarah and Hagar as an illustration of these Galatian believers. And what he says here is that these legalistic missionaries, that they are in the column of the slave. They are the ones who line up with Hagar and Ishmael and the flesh. This passage is Sarah demanding to Abraham to throw out the slave and her child, who will never share in this inheritance. And Paul lifts this out of its simple context of Genesis. And he tells us these, these Galatians, that you are the ones who are free in Christ. You are the ones who come from Sarah and Isaac, and of the heaven or of the Jerusalem above. Folks, our freedom is a precious gift to us, It is not an achievement. We must not allow others to misuse Scripture, to use Scripture towards old traditions that enslave us once again. If there ever comes a time when the church is being divided because of legalistic thoughts The one creating division has to be taught to. They have to repent, and if not, they have to be cast out. That's what Paul says to the legalistic missionaries. They are to be cast out. I'm very protective of this church, sometimes to a fault, and what I mean by that is sometimes people will say things, and and I don't react in the best way. And that's something I have to work on. But I defend the freedoms of the people of this church, and I defend even freedoms that I don't participate in myself. We have people sometimes, they come into this place and they judge everything that we do. They become critical of all kinds of things that are non-biblical issues. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't mind people coming and asking. In fact, I think they should. If there's something we're doing that you're not used to, it's okay. Come and ask. Um, And here's the thing, if it's something that is not of a biblical case, then we're not going, I'm not going to try to convince you to do it my way because it's an opinionated thing. What I'm talking about, people are those who believe they have it all figured out and they come in and their whole their whole process is not to grow in Christ but to point out all the unsound things that are being done and they will be tolerated for a time but eventually they'll be asked to leave if they cannot respect differences it's okay to think differently But it's another thing to respect those differences. Here's the thing. I don't agree with everybody in this room. I know people that are part of this church family. They are on completely opposite sides of the aisle. But I don't get the idea that that the church is being divided by that. And that's okay, because here's the thing. We want people to grow, and we want them to grow at their own pace. Everyone doesn't have to be where I am, and I don't have to be exactly where some of you are. I continue to grow. But the unity, if the unity of the church is at stake, that's a whole nother thing. We want people to sit down and talk and discuss and open the Bible and try to understand the context of what God's Word is teaching us. And sometimes we're just just not going to get there. You know what? We're just not. And it's not a matter of people just wanting to do it their way or not do it their way. But we can get up and we can still love each other in a mutual kind of Christian love towards one another. That's different than being hateful and accusatory and rolling your eyes and calling names. That's not the way to do it. That's different than saying, okay, here is what I want you to know and I want you to believe, but you will not listen or even contemplate the other side to things. That neither is acceptable. We try to keep things in context. And we try to do it the best we can. But we're talking about a 21st century and a 1st century. And we know that there's a lot of things that we continue to learn and that we continue to grow. But the things that are of doctrine, that we can only be freed in Christ, that only by this trusting faithfulness in God can we be justified, that only by through baptism are we clothed in Jesus, But things that are opinion, there is liberty. Some of you remember a saying, I used to, we used to say this a lot, and I haven't done it in a while. I'm, I'm, I'm going to test you see how well, if we still remember this. Ready? In doctrine, unity. In opinion, liberty. But in all things, love. Wow, we did great. <laughs> in doctrine, unity. In opinion, liberty. But in all things, love. If you haven't come to Christ, let go of your human goodness, your human effort to try to do it yourself, because you can't. You will always be under the law until you come to Jesus, who came and he died for us, and he rose from the grave for us, and he promises that he's going to come again. That's our hope. Don't be... Don't bring the Hagar's and the Ishmael's in your life by trying to follow God by your own works and your own means. Come through Ishmael, which came by God miraculously opening up, I mean through Isaac, by God opening up Sarah's womb, the dead womb, so that she would be able to bear a child. They could not do it of their own. Jesus died to unshackle you from your sin. He rose so that he could send his spirit to free us from living a life bound to the desires of the flesh. By trusting faithfulness, we are justified by God. Through baptism, we are clothed in Christ, and we are made children of the promises of Abraham. Some of you may be here, though, and and you know maybe this is something you need to do in your life, but you're like, okay, I don't even know what the word justify means. That's okay. You may say, you talk about this promise. I I don't even know what that promise entails. That's okay. What we're saying is, let us take you and show you. To simply share it. We just want to share with you Jesus the one who can free us from our sinfulness, free us from our slave camps. And once we become God's children, listen, don't start adding laws where there are no laws. Don't start making fellowship and disfellowship based upon things that are opinionated issues or scriptures that you simply are pulling out of the Bible that have, that have nothing to do with the context from which they are being raised. We are free in Christ to follow Jesus and to serve each other and to love one another. And we are going to continue to do that. If we can help you in any way, we urge you to come now together we stand and as we sing.